that includes these two lines. Go often to the house of thy friends, for weeds choke an unused path. Dr. J. Ralph McIntyre is one of those endearing friends that once you have met him, forms a very clear path of relationship between his life and yours. And though you may go days, weeks, months, or in my case and his, sometimes a year and not see each other, once you re-enter that path again, a personal approach, there are never any weeds there because the camaraderie and the friendship and the quality of life that he gives away keeps a very clean, approachable path. I am pleased to introduce you this morning our good friend and inspirational leader this week, Dr. J. Ralph McIntyre from Nashville, Tennessee. Dr. Mack. She's still taller than I am. Thank you, Mansell. Sometime last night, uh, early this morning, for those of you who do not have cable television in your room, and that's all of us, nevertheless, the news has come, and you may not be aware, that Hurricane Andrew hit Miami sometime in the early morning hours with wind gusts up to 164 miles an hour the worst hurricane to hit the Atlantic coast in a century. Uh, the highways leading out of Miami have been full, moving north, every available person trying to get out. I share that with you because many of us have friends, but also as a prayer concern that James and Evelyn Rose have a daughter living in Miami, and of course no possible communication at this point as to uh, what the situation is with her. And I knew that you would want to remember her and remember them in this time of anxiety. Yesterday was a full day, wasn't it? Sort of reminded me of the little lady that was visiting this Baptist church, and she visited for quite a little while, never did join. Finally, she was not visiting anymore. And uh, one day, the pastor of that church happened to see her down in the shopping mall. And he said, you were visiting our church for a while, and we sure thought you were going to join, and now we haven't seen you for a while. Just like to know what, what, what happened. She said, well, said, I liked your church very, very much, but I just decided along the way I really wasn't physically able to be a Baptist. Some of you may feel that way after yesterday uh, or today's schedule. One of my favorite passages of Scripture, and that's a hard thing always to say because, you know, when you're reading, I don't care whether it's over in Genesis or over in Revelation or all of the verses in between when you're reading or studying and trying to dig the truth out, that suddenly for that while becomes your favorite. 
But there are mountain peaks, aren't there, as far as our, our love and knowledge of the scriptures. And it's that passage where Jesus is trying to help and to encourage his disciples and to get them ready for his crucifixion. Jesus always was a step ahead. Jesus always sought to prepare the people around him for what would be coming. And he knew that they were going to be devastated when they saw him hanging on a cross, being crucified. And in order to get them ready, he said, I don't want your hearts to be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many, many dwelling places, many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you that. I'm leaving you. I'm going away. And I'm going away to prepare a place for you. Where I go, you know, and the way you know. And Thomas spoke up. Sometimes we call him Doubting Thomas, but I'm sort of glad he asked the questions that he did because more than likely if we had been in that crowd, that's what we'd be thinking, even if we didn't have the courage maybe to ask. So I'm grateful that Thomas had some doubts and asked some questions, and I'm grateful that old Peter was impetuous because they sort of were surrogates for us, you see, in, in our concern. Anyway, Thomas said to him, Master, I really don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I don't know where you're going. And, and I don't know the way. And Jesus said, Tom, I'm the way. I'm the truth. I am the life. And no man cometh unto the Father but by me. Thomas said unto him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And Philip said, Lord, show us the Father. That'll be enough. We'll be satisfied. Show us the Father. And Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. Paul 
seizing of something of that same insight. Paul writing to the Christians over in Rome made a statement. He said, if you do not have the spirit of Christ, then that's evidence that you really do not belong to him. Jesus said to his disciples, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. What was it that people saw in the life of Jesus that they did not see in the lives of others who were around them? What was different about Jesus? There were many rabbis. There were many rabbis who were kind and gentle and wise. There were many teachers who were kind and loving and who wanted to point the people toward God. But Jesus was not like any other rabbi. He was not like any other teacher. And he summed it up when he said, when you have seen me, when you have looked at me, when you have listened to me, you have seen and heard the Father. What did they see in Jesus? Our pictures of Jesus that have come to us out of sometimes some wonderful art and sometimes some horrendous art, out of the beauty of stained glass windows, sometimes our picturization of Jesus gets a little on the faulty side. And we need, if we can, we need to step back 2,000 years and put on a simple robe and put sandals on our feet and stand on the edge of the crowd of the disciples when they were listening to Jesus or walk with them for a while when they were walking with Jesus and somehow try mentally to translate ourselves back and try to understand what they saw and heard when they saw and heard Jesus. There is an excitement that comes to our lives when we catch a fresh glimpse at the Master. What did they see? And what is it possible for us to see if we try to take a fresh look? When they looked at Jesus and when they listened to Jesus, they were aware, though probably they did not voice it or give a name to it, but they were aware deep down in their subconscious mind, here is somebody who has integrity. Here is somebody who is single-tongued. 
his own teaching was don't embellish what you say. Make it a simple yes and a simple no. By that, I think he was simply saying, don't qualify every time you say yes. Don't qualify every time you say no. But live the kind of life where a yes is a yes and a no is a no. Isn't it good to know people that you can take at face value? I know a lot of people that when I hear them, when I'm in conversation with them, when I read something that they have written, I have to put a question mark and say, what's the hidden agenda? What are they really after? What are they really talking about? And it wasn't that way with Jesus. No hidden agendas. Yes was yes and no was no. They could take him at his word. Jesus said, when you have seen me and heard me, you have seen and heard the Father, which means that God, the Father, can be trusted. That when he says something, he means it. Too many times in my own life in ministry, I've found myself arguing with God as though I knew more than he does. There was a single-mindedness about him. When I look at the life of Jesus and I try to transport myself back 2,000 years and stand and try to mentally be with those first disciples of our Lord, I think I can discover as I look and listen to Jesus a sensitivity to things about him. There are a lot of folks who can go through life and never, ever, er, never, ever see anybody who needs anything. They just plow through life, going their own way, doing their own thing. I've known a lot of people in life who could go right down the midst of a street of people who have needs on both sides, never, ever see them somehow, just put the blinders on. Jesus was not like that. There was a sensitiveness about Jesus he might have been talking the most wonderful thing in all the world with his disciples as he walked down the road, but his eyes were constantly scanning the road and over down the way he saw a fellow huddled up and he had a begging bowl in his hand and he made a call for alms, help, alms and Jesus stopped whatever the wonderful conversation was with his disciples and he stood right in front of that fellow and he looked right at him and he said why don't you just get up and the fellow said I I can't get up I've never walked a day in my life I'm here because somebody carried me here. Who are you to say, get up? The master said, get up. And he got up. And he went rejoicing with them to the temple, leaping 
and praising God. Somewhere along the way in life, you and I need to become a leaper for the Lord. And we can if we'll realize that out of our spiritual crippled condition, spiritually, Jesus has said to each one of us at some point in life, get up. Don't be a cripple anymore in your spiritual experience. And we say, Lord, I'm pretty comfortable the way I am right here. I'm begging. I'm getting, getting enough. No, he says, get up. And when we've had faith in him and we get up and we get at it, then we too can become a leaper for the Lord. He was sensitive. He was sensitive to the blind, to the crippled, to the sick, and to the dead, and to the sinful. He was sensitive we're at our best in any one of our ministries, and you are in full and complete and 100% ministry, and the responsibility that's yours in your local church, we are best in each of our ministries when we are sensitive to the needs of the people in the congregation whom we serve. And when we are sensitive to their needs, that directs our selection of materials and books and displays and etc and etc and etc to be sensitive Jesus said when you've seen me you've seen the father when you've heard me you've heard the father they saw him and witnessed him as being sensitive to the needs that were around him when they walked with Jesus as they thought back Jesus said in the response to this question, show us the Father and we'll be happy. He said, you've seen the Father, you've seen me. And as the disciples began to think back over what they had seen in Jesus, I think it came to them. All right, this is a whole new idea about God. Never thought of God as being my servant before. But Jesus has been my servant Evidently, God, the Father, is a servant also. For they thought back and they remembered the time when they went into the room after a walk down a long, dusty trail, and there was nobody there to wash the journeying feet. And Jesus knelt down and washed the feet of his disciples and dried them. Oh, Peter said, don't do that, Lord. He said, I ought to be doing that. Well, yes, he probably should have been, and he should have thought of it first. But Jesus said, no, if you don't let me do this, then we really don't have anything together to do. And then old Peter said, well, if you're going to wash my feet, wash me all over. But you see, they remembered that when they looked at Jesus and they experienced Jesus, they experienced him as a servant. And so Jesus was saying to them, my father is willing to bend low and be a servant. Anytime we think that we're too good to be a servant, Anytime we think we're too educated to serve, we take a giant step away from being like Jesus. He was a servant. 
and he was serene in his life. Nobody ever had more ugly things said about him than Jesus. The whispers around Nazareth as he grew up, you know, Joseph and Mary's boy, he's really illegitimate. Kids can be cruel and mean as they repeat what they hear their mothers and dads say. There were those who misunderstood Jesus. There were those who did not understand who he was or what he was, uh, the direction in which he'd set his face. And there were the times when he wanted to help them more than anything else in the world, but he had to let them stumble around the way. But in the midst of every sorrow, in the midst of every heartache, in the midst of all the misunderstanding about him and his life, there was a marked serenity about his life. Now, why in the world would that be? You can be serene in the midst of a storm if you know that your feet happen to be placed on solid ground. You can be serene in the midst of the storm if you know that everything's all right with your soul. You can be serene in the midst of misunderstandings and divisions and whatever else that come in life to disturb us. We can have a serenity if we are conscious that we have sought and that we are in the will of the Father. Jesus knew his Father's will. Jesus accepted his Father's will for his life. And Jesus was living out his Father's will. And in the doing of that, when ugly things were said, Jesus could be serene. Because you see, Jesus knew how the story was going to end. And he was not disturbed about it. And so, if you and I then would be like Jesus, then we would be the kind of people who, when people see us and listen to us and live with us and work with us, they would catch a glimpse of God. For it ought to be said of us, as Jesus said, when you have seen me, you have seen the Father. Let not your hearts be troubled, he said. You believe in God. Believe also in me. Dr. W. Marshall Craig, pastor for 26 years of the Gaston Avenue Baptist Church in Dallas, Texas, was one of the dearest friends I ever had in all the world. He was a little man. He was a little man with an enormous voice. And folks who heard him for that first time were always surprised at that big voice that came up out of that small man. He and Mrs. Craig were wonderful Christian folk. Never had any children. 
Many of you, if you ever saw him or knew him or approached him or shook hands with him, you would always pull your hand away and have a little piece of wrapped hard candy in it. He was the candy man. He always had his pockets full of candy. He had retired from his 26 years as pastor at Gaston Avenue Baptist Church. He was speaking to a Texas Baptist gathering while I was a pastor in Texas. And the man who introduced him said this about him. He said, I am honored today to be able to introduce to you Dr. W. Marshall Craig. He said, no, not to introduce, but to present him to you. For Dr. W. Marshall Craig, who has lived in our midst for these three decades, the transparent life with no need to pull the window shades down. And when I heard that, I said, he's got his number. To live a life like that, so that when people see us, they see Jesus. So that when people hear us, they hear the heartbeat of Jesus. So that when people walk with us, they have the sense that they're walking with Jesus. And seeing Jesus, they get a new vision of the Father. I cut this out of a magazine a few months ago. It's an ad for Waterford Crystal. Now you ladies all know what that is. Irish Waterford Crystal. And here's the ad. Waterford, steadfast in a world of wavering standards. Now that's what it is to be a Christian. Steadfast in a world of wavering standards. When you have seen me, said Jesus, you have seen the Father. Dear Lord, how we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus, who born among us, grew among us, lived among us, and who died for us, and who conquered death and lives forever as our constant and ever-present friend. Dear Father, thank you for Jesus' faithfulness to the calling of his earthly life and ministry that he showed us you and help us in the midst of a world that's struggling and sinning and hurting of people who cry in the night. Help us, Father to be even as Jesus among them, pointing to you. 
in Jesus' name. Amen.